0: Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for that story of choices. And now as we make a choice to open up Your Word, to see what we can do to watch and pray, especially in these last hours of verse history, that You'll give us insights from Jesus' own example Himself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. remember a few years ago, that story about the mine that collapsed down north of Santiago in Chile. Any you guys remember that story? I remember just, it continued to be on the news. It's almost like people were waiting and hoping and almost holding their breaths, wondering if these 33 individuals would make it out alive. And you can even still find footage regarding this. I went back on the internet and I found this picture here where it was describing how there they were, 2,297 feet down from the surface of the, of the, of the mine shaft. And it described how they were trying to drill, and, and you know how everything seemed to be focusing on that story, how one drill failed and another one failed, and finally they got these guys out. But as I read that story of the tunnel collapsing, the failed attempts to rescue them, the, the feelings the miners expressed afterwards, and some of them were keeping kind of quiet about those because they wanted to give a united voice to their experience, it began to make me think about life itself. Because there they were, down there, and eventually, it shows these four men came down in this rescue capsule. Two of them were naval medics. Can you imagine being down there, 2,300 feet down below, and finally a human being comes down, not just one, but four of them, to rescue you and pull you up through that same capsule that came down. Over here is a timeline on the screen you can see. Um, they had drilling beginning, and if you look, the discovery that the men were even alive was, was some 19 days after the fact. Imagine two weeks of not knowing whether anybody knows you're alive or not. If you've ever been in one of those claustrophobic situations, uh, you, you can kind of bottle that up and, and expand it, because now you know how far down you are as a miner, and no one even knows yet whether you're alive or not. They discovered they were alive. They began the drilling. First of three rescue plans starts. And if you look down there, it says that 69 days, 8 hours underground later, they are rescued, the longest at that point in history. And now we have stories, even now, of mines collapsing, hitting the news. But as I think of this experience here, 68, 69 days, 8 hours, all of them being saved, and they come out, and there's the picture of the rescue, hands up, praising God. These are Christian men, uh, Catholic faith background praising God and yet as you continue to look at that article that went just before it came out it said this a hero's welcome awaits them when they get to the top not because they did anything markedly notable noble besides defy odds but because they showed us there is hope even when the worst seems certain they'll be heralded as heroes because they show us there is hope even When the worst seems certain. Their survival, the article continued on CNN, many will say was born of the strength, patience, and resilience God instilled in them. They were giving credit to God while they were down there. They will be inundated with the warm wishes of spectators who monitored their ordeal from across the world. And you can pronounce that, we are with you is a common sentiment. We are with you was being expressed. As they were down there, far from family, far from home, in that space. A hero's welcome because they showed us there is hope, even when the worst seems certain. We kind of gravitate towards these type of stories, don't we? It's like the story of a human experience. We, We somehow relate to this experience. And we want people to know, and we love stories where the outcome is saying, we're with you. We somehow can relate to those type of stories. And it appears like when as I look at those stories, there's a lot of public support, even with the mine collapsing in Turkey, other things like that, more recent. But I wondered to myself, was it, was it a united support because they wanted to, to have joy in letting people know that we're with you? Or was it because sometimes there's this fear, this nagging fear, that what would happen if I was in that circumstance? I would want someone to rescue me. I would want someone to tell me, I'm with you right now. Maybe we have empathy with those who find themselves disconnected from our human family because we know what it feels like to have that crushing feeling ourselves. And as I look at that human experience, it reminds me of an experience that echoes down long before this one ever occurred back in 2010. Of an individual who he himself came down as the rescuer. He Himself came down to be one of us. He Himself came down to tell us, you don't walk to this world, looking at the world through your rear view. God can hear you. I remember there used to be a song back in my pre-Christian days. It said, looking at the world through my rear view, I scream to God, He can't hear you. If you know the lyrics, you know exactly what I'm talking about, the rapper. But that guy ended up dying. And long after his death, those words as a pre-Christian echoed in my mind and I got to the point one night where I said to myself, what do I got to lose? Let's see if he can hear me. And I cried out to that guy whom the song in a way said couldn't hear me. You find yourself looking at the world passing by, life going on, years going on, and wondering to yourself if God can hear you. The story of those minors, the story that we're going about to unpack shows us that God can hear you. You can scream to him, you can call out to him, He does hear you. We are not alone. Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two, says that God, in various times and various ways, in the original language, spoke to us by the prophets. But in his last days He has spoken to us by His Son. He has told us through Jesus and through every single prophet in this Word that you are not alone, that you do not face this human experience, whatever it is that you're going through right now, alone, that we are with you. Not only the prophets and people of faith, but our heavenly family is with us. Through every circumstance, through every trial, we are with you. Is the story of salvation as well. And I can think of no more vivid description or a story that illustrates the heaven is with us, besides those stories the prophets write about, than the story of Jesus, who is literally the I am. He says, I am with you. But as I look at his story, I find if we look at him carefully, like Kenneth Cox used to say in his old evangelistic sermons, watch him like a hawk. Look at all the details. (laughs) Let's watch him for a few minutes. Let's see if it plays out in our lives that Jesus knows exactly what we're going through. And before we're done here, we're not just going to watch. We're going to have a time of prayer where you can say, you know what? It has spoke to my experience, and I literally need to lay something down. I have realized by the time this is done that I am not alone in my circumstance. I am not alone in my struggle, and I want to cry out to Him, just like I saw Jesus do. So let's look at this experience in Matthew 26. And if you've been following along in that Staying Connected devotional guide, that's one of our readings for this week. And so I chose this one because I thought it would be a good way to kick off our new year with laying down burdens during the month of January before the foot of the cross. And come Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him three of his friends, Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Pair ye here and watch with me. Keep your eyes on me. And eventually he'll ask them, Could you not pray with me? Gethsemane, though. This is an interesting set of words here. It means oil press or an olive press is what some people like to translate it as. But it means literally an oil press. And what kind of oil trees do we have around in the Middle East? We've got the olive trees. Some of you have these in your yard. I've been visited you in your homes and you've got these olive trees. Some of them are good for oil. Some are better for olives. But nonetheless, you have this experience, this background, this place known as the olive press. And they literally believe that it's got these olive trees around it in that area there. A place where He could go and, and sit during the summertime and gather some shade. A place where He could go for solitude and prayer. And there He goes, He gathers His disciples to this place that He knows He knows that He will need to be connected with His Father to face what lays ahead. And He Himself will be the one pressed down. Here's a picture of an ancient oil press. Imagine this that coming down and crushing and spilling out the contents of the grapes. If you've ever done grapes for oil, or tried to. Some of us are more successful than others. But pressing these olives down, and then you would find this is where the olive oil would come out, and they would gather it, and they would store it. That's what Gethsemane is all about. The very atmosphere itself is the feeling, agrarian feeling, of pressing down olives. And yet, here we find, it's very fitting then, that Jesus himself feels pressed down. He came with his disciples, and it says he became to be sorrowful and very heavy. Something is weighing him down. And that word for sorrow is mourning. Some of you have experienced a loss of a loved one where you you go through that grief cycle, and at first you feel this really deep shadow all around you. And then eventually it maybe Maybe the sun begins to shine a little bit and some anger comes in because you're living on it. There's this whole grief cycle. If you've ever been through it, then you can relate to what Jesus is going through. He feels that feeling of loss. Something is being lost. And the word for sorrowful is mourning. He has gone from a prayerful attitude to feeling way down, sorrowful, because something is being lost. You say, well, what is it? Well, something spiritual it has to do with his connection with his father. Something is pressing him down and separating him from his father to the point where he feels a loss with heaven. And it says heavy, it's the idea of being, you know how you have that backpacking experience or, or maybe when you're younger, you, you pack too much into your in a pack and you're going for a hike and it just weighs you down and you wish you could just drop that thing. It's uncomfortable. This, that's physical. This is spiritual. It's like a, a feeling of a huge weight that you, when you take that break on the trail and you sit down on that rock and you, whew, you let it off, he just wants to let it off, but he can't. He can't shake it. It's just pressing him down. The sorrow, emotional sorrow, and then just weigh him down physically. Draining. It feels like it's draining his very life out. So Gethsemane truly is an olive press, isn't it? It surely is pressing him down. And some Bible dictionaries, or you go to Greek definition lexicons, they say it's almost like a foreign weight. In other words, it's not something you're accustomed to. What is it that's spiritual foreign that he's not accustomed to, that separates him from his Father, that weighs him down to the point of death? We'll come to it in a minute but is it clear that he's a man of sorrows here? Isn't it clear that he feels like he's in a situation where he's all alone? And he said to them as he comes back, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. That's that morning, same word again. Now it's getting worse. It's, it's getting exceedingly now, even unto death. Carry here and watch with me. Watch with me. And some like to have this idea that Yeah, we need to stand like soldiers and watch for the second coming. That's what this is about. No, this is talking about look at me. Watch with me. Join me. See what I'm going through. So he's encompassed with the grief. It's a sorrow that feels like it's killing him. Has that ever happened to you? I remember when I was about 10 years old, the feeling of... uh, separation that began when my alcoholic father would refuse to receive help for his problem. And it was just ripping our family apart. And I remember looking on as I was sitting in the waiting room with a counselor, hoping that the yells that I heard beyond those counseling doors would somehow bring about a reconciliation between my mother and my father. I remember just feeling this Gripping around my chest, it felt like I was suffocating, and I wished somehow that they could work it out so we could be a family. It never happened. And that was a divorce. Some people say divorces are worse than uh, actual death because the person lives on and, and there's that emotional possibility of connection, but it never can happen because of choices, and that's what I was lesson was about this morning was to our young people the choices we make and so I felt that personally from a child and I don't think I've ever you say you should be healed by now from that I don't think I have ever fully this side of heaven because the experience keeps going on my mom is still alive my dad's still alive I can still hear bitterness and all of that it kind of like brings back memories I don't think I can ever fully put that away until he wipes away every tear. You may have never experienced a divorce situation. You may have experienced, and imagine the child who longs for his dad to come home, but he knows he never will. That's what I was going through. And for you, it could be a loved one who's passed away in the last year or years, who you wish above anything. You would love to hear their voice again. You would love to be able to wrap your arms around them. You would love to just go anywhere with them and do something and and the tools in their tool chest remind you of them and and this reminds you of them and that reminds you of them and it kind of resurfaces and then that weight is there again. Or maybe it's a financial situation where you feel like you're just being suffocated slowly financially and you wish that there was someone to lift that weight off and somehow you could not only just get a handle on that, but you could be in control of it you had any feeling of that heaviness? Or maybe it's a certain besetting sin that keeps coming back and you, can know, it, you know it separates you from God, but it, it keeps coming back and you want to be victorious over it, but after you give in to it, you feel that guilt, that fear, that weight that somehow something's between you and God and you wish that somehow you could overcome that. Or maybe it's you've been in the church many years and you pray to God, and you're not listening to a rapper say, I scream to God and he can't hear you, but you feel like your prayer bounces off that ceiling or somehow it doesn't feel like what it used to. You can go ahead and just put in your human experience and realize that whatever it is, to feel what he feels there in that garden means he has felt whatever your human experience is. You know, I I look at this crushing experience of Jesus. It makes mine look small in my life, little things that have added up. And I look at his experience and I see that it almost seems like a fulfillment of Scripture. Those words I said to myself, they must be somewhere else in Scripture because it's almost like he's known the human experience long before he finds himself experiencing it. And our FBI agents, our young people, here's your answer for one of your questions. So our faithful Bible investigator answer is Psalm 116. We find Jesus' experience was prophesied long before it happened. Does that make it lesser or lighter on him? No, but it it was prophesied in Psalm 116. You want to read the whole thing? You can, but I'm going to read parts of it. Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. We, We like that part of it. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live if we stopped there, you'd say, yep, that's me. I'm going to have a prayer experience with the Lord. I'm going to call upon him as long as I live. Hallelujah. And some of you may be feeling that way. But if you keep reading, you'll find the other part of human experience. The pains of death surrounded me. How could you go from one to all of a sudden just like almost the opposite? If you've ever been through emotional grief, you know exactly how that can happen. The pains of death surrounded me. The pains of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. He asked for deliverance from something. I remember when I was younger, it was uh, even friends who backstab and all of that. Get that experience that makes you feel that loss and that sorrow, for what could have been a lifelong friendship was now all of a sudden ended. In a brawl or something. Maybe you haven't lost friends. Maybe you haven't lost a loved one. Maybe you haven't had divorce or some other emotional thing touch your life. If you haven't, then you're a robot. Because something has touched you at some point. And this psalm is saying that somebody would go through deep sorrow and then they would call out to the Lord and He would hear them. I'm so glad the psalm didn't just leave them down in the mire and the muck. But it said He would call out and heaven would hear. And that's where we're going with this experience. Psalm 116 goes on to talk about this idea of calling out from Jerusalem. Guess where Jesus is at? He's near there, isn't He? He's right there in the Garden of Gethsemane near Jerusalem. He's, he's going to be calling out to God. But first, His soul is so weighed down. And so we go back to that text. He says He went a little further. He falls on His face in Matthew 26 and prayed saying, "Oh my Father... If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. When has the Son and the Father ever been at odds regarding the will of the plan of salvation? Never. He said, I and the Father are one. And he prayed for that same oneness for us. And so all of a sudden you find whatever he's experiencing spiritually is even undoing his oneness with his father, his connection with his father. And humanly speaking, he doesn't feel like going forward with the will of God. Isn't this an amazing story? I mean, it's just it's amazing enough that the creator of the universe would become one of us and let alone experience something like this. When have their wills ever been in contrast? Here's the perfect Savior, the holy friend who goes about healing people, the one who is willing to just lift up those down in sorrow. And yet we find him experiencing separation, guilt, and fears. Why? Because he is becoming, as far as heaven's record is concerned, he is becoming a sinner. You don't like that probably because you want to have him as a perfect Savior, never experience sin. Well, doesn't Paul say that? For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The only way for Satan to relinquish his hold on you and me is for a perfect record to stand in place of my imperfect record and your imperfect record. So he takes upon him your feelings of guilt, your feelings of shame, your feelings of separation from God and family and relationships, all of that, he takes it upon himself so that you could go free. It's almost like you're the Barabbas in the story. You're the son of the father that he really wants. That's what Barabbas means. And Jesus goes to the cross, and you go free. And Satan can't touch you, because heaven's record says, once you accept and believe in Jesus, you're a son of God, child of God. And he comes at you with an accusation. You can literally rebuke him, because you are in Christ, and you have Christ's righteousness covering you. So is Jesus sin in this text? Yes. I didn't say he sinned. I said he became sin for us. He is sin in this text. Now you understand the whole serpent being lifted up. He said, I must be lifted up. He became sin through this baptism of fire. This weight being placed upon him. And this was the plan from the beginning of the world all the way down through that. Even if you know the plan, isn't it harder than to actually experience it? There he is experiencing it. And so he felt our aloneness. I put a journal entry down before the new year. I was reading this book over here, Healing for Damaged Emotions. I don't agree with everything in the book, but I agree with the idea that you need to face what's happened to you and allow God to heal you. I put, deep down, when you feel like you're the only one experiencing what you are feeling, Remember. Remember that Jesus felt that way both at Gethsemane and the cross. You're not alone. He knows what you're going through. In that context, he has felt the root of every human problem. What is the root? The root of every human problem is feeling that no one knows how you feel except for you alone. No one knows what I'm going through. And that's the devil's pit of despair. He wants to keep us there but he is acquainted with my weaknesses and your weaknesses. That's what Gethsemane shows us. And it's not we are with you. Jesus says, I am with you. The one who made you knows exactly what you're going through. And he didn't even have his friends there. Look at the text. It says, he goes up to Peter and them, what, could you not watch with me one hour? We have a hard time watching Jesus for one hour a day, don't we? Do you spend a thoughtful hour each day looking at Jesus? They couldn't. The human nature was there. He said, watch and pray. That's the title of our sermon. This idea of watching and pray. A thoughtful hour means to watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Not only them, but himself. He felt the weakness himself. So one hour. As I read that, I thought, maybe then if i spend some time looking to jesus i could overcome just as he has overcome maybe if i look and i decide to see what he has gone through then that's watching and then i combine that with prayer then i could overcome so i believe the same thing happens for us today we must watch and pray Here's a quotation if you need it. Many attend religious services and are refreshed and comforted by the Word of God, but through neglect of meditation, biblical meditation, okay? Not this whole empty your mind stuff. Biblical meditation, watchfulness, and prayer, they lose the blessing. They come week after week. They're encouraged. They're pointing to Christ or something that's encouraging the Word of God. But they go and they, they neglect it during the week they lose the blessing and find themselves more destitute than before they received it. They leave hungry. They find they have this nagging sense of not being fulfilled and connected. Often they feel that God has dealt hardly with them. So now look what happens. They begin to, almost like they begin to blame God. Then how are they going to treat one another? Well, if they're not connecting with God during the week, they're going to treat one another like they're, what they're looking at. And if you're not looking at this, what are we looking at? By beholding, we become changed. Often they feel that God has dealt hardly with them. They do not see that the fault is their own. By separating themselves from Jesus, Ellen White says, they have shut away the light of his presence. Someone comes along and says, I've got new light. i got something to tell them. And that is this. How does it point me to Jesus? Because he is the light. All these other little theories you've got coming up, all these other little focuses we have, I could tell you right now, they become anti-Christ in the place of Christ if they don't point to Christ. We should study prophecy. We should study last day events. We should be knowing what's going on around us, but if that's our staple food, if that's our diet, the love of Jesus will never penetrate that because of the hardness of our own hearts. The love of many will wax cold because of what they see going on around them, and that's exactly what will happen to us. If we don't find something that can melt and subdue that. Someone who can melt and subdue that. She goes on. It would be well for us to spend, what is she suggesting? What is she prescribing to the church? A thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. Not everything else. Yeah, read your lesson. Read different Bible study plans. But spend that thoughtful hour looking at Jesus. We should take it point by point. I like that. I'm pretty detail-oriented. So point by point, and let the imagination grasp each scene, especially, which ones? The closing ones. You want to find yourself faithful at the close of time, and look at the closing scenes of Jesus' life. Jacob's time of trouble prefigured Jesus' time of trouble, and we will face Jacob's time of trouble again. And the way to overcome on both sides of Jacob's time of trouble is Jesus' outstretched arms, linking any sorrow experience to the source of healing, which is himself. As we thus dwell upon his great sacrifice, our confidence in him, not ourselves, in him, not that you should be somehow downing yourself all the time, but our confidence in him will be more constant. Our love will be quickened. Don't we want love in our church? And We have to look to him. What is love really? I'm that dumb song, baby, don't hurt me, don't hurt me this time. Well, is that what love is all about? I mean, somehow this emotion that comes and goes? No, it's about looking to him. That's constant. Even if you don't feel like it, you can look to him and see what it's truly about. And then it says, not only that, well, love will be quickened towards each other. We shall be deeply imbued with his spirit. We want the latter rain, we say. In order to get the latter rain, you got to have Jesus. And no, I'm not doing an imbalanced view of that. When Jesus comes in, you find the laws written in your heart, you do the works that He has prescribed for you to do. You find yourself doing as Jesus did. If we would be saved at last, let's learn the lesson of penitence and humiliation at the cross. If you're not spending time looking at the cross, if I'm not spending time looking at the cross, then we'll never make it. Why? Because when the time of trouble comes at the way end of time, and you've got a false picture of Jesus being painted in front of you on the media and everything around you, then really, how are you going to stand against that unless you know the true picture of Jesus? And then when you're struggling deep down, not in a, a mine somewhere 2,300 feet down, but in some forest or some jail cell or some place where, you, where you're, you're now all of a sudden just questioning whether you should keep on believing it or not, and you're having your own Jacob's time of trouble, and you feel inadequate, and Satan's bringing up all your past sins and weighing it down upon you. Guess what? The only way you're going to make it through that is if you say, you know what? The Lord rebuke you. Jesus has already overcome. He died on the cross and nailed that to the cross. And then if you deep down inside, after that happens there, you realize the joy of suffering for Jesus because he had already suffered for you. That all comes at the cross. So do you want the latter rain? Do you want to have love in your church? Do we want that? I mean, if we want that, we've got to be imbued with the Spirit. And that only comes by looking to Jesus. Does it seem so simple? Let's throw an equation up there. Love in the church equals Jesus in the church. Love in our hearts means Jesus' words in our hearts. If we subtract Jesus in the church, we're going to have a bitter, fighting, divided church. If we subtract Jesus' words from our staple food here at our church, then what we're going to have is no love in our hearts. And so the thoughtful hour text continues. She says, as we associate, then once we have that love, we may be a blessing to one another. If we are Christ, our sweetest thoughts will be of Him. We shall love to talk of Him as we speak one to another of His love. His love. Our hearts will be softened by divine influences. I don't want to be an ice-cold, frozen chosen Christian in these last days. I want Jesus to soften my heart. Beholding the beauty of His character. Whoa. How come I'm so focused on my character all the time? No, beholding the beauty of His character, because now I know what the true looks like. And I know that if, if I fail and I'm somehow not up to that par, I can ask Him for help and He'll help me, slowly but surely, in my sanctification process, become more like Jesus. But i got to look to Him. If I just look in the mirror all the time, and guess what's going to happen? A perfectionism mindset, and I'm going to get discouraged and I'm going to leave it. But if I look to him as the perfect one, who's accomplished all things, who's bore even my sin, and I see what his character is like, it's encouraging. Because it's like by looking at him all the time, I begin to, I, subtly at first, but eventually I begin to look back and, and I notice certain things don't bother me anymore. Certain temptations, I can literally take and and, and imagine the cross there and imagine being nailed to the cross. And it takes away the temptation. And so, we want love in the church. We've got to look to Jesus. We have to watch Him and then pray. Read about Him daily. Let's keep watching and finish up this text. He went away the second time and prayed saying, My Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, Thy will be done. He remained connected even when He didn't feel like it. And it says, and this must be, if he's spending an hour the first time and he goes away for another time, is this like three hours of prayer? I mean, it doesn't tell you specifically in the text, but it makes you wonder if it's a three-hour watch that he asked him to do with him. And he came to them a third time saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said, sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. The virgins are sleeping at the end of time. All of them are. But the ones who remain sleeping are the ones who don't focus on Christ. Will we be sleeping or watching? I think that's the key to the ten virgins. Being imbued with the oil, having enough oil is linked to the word of, words of Jesus. So if I'm not spending any time in that, I wonder then if maybe I become an agent of Satan and a false spirit guides my heart. I'm not spending any time with him. I wonder then if a false spirit guides my heart. And there appeared an angel to him. This is the amazing part of the story. It's like all of a sudden, that whole example of those miners, here all of a sudden is a capsule coming down from heaven and an angel pops out. I mean, here is an angel coming all of a sudden when he's way down to the point and his even friends are not around. And an angel comes and strengthens him from heaven. We're with you. We're right there with you in the struggle. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. He keeps on praying after that. That angel strengthens him to move on, to keep going forward to the point where he was able to endure. After that heavenly help came, he was able to endure the sweating of blood. And when he rose up from prayer, was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And so when no one is there, his heavenly family was there. When no one was there, God did not allow his son to bear it all alone. When no one is there for you, there is still a resource available to you and for me. It's from heaven. And heaven says, we are with you. We are not alone. Watch Jesus. Look at his life. You can see it. It's proof right there. And then cry out to heaven and it will hear you. So in order for me to do that, i got to acknowledge my feelings. Jesus said, let the cut pass. i got to accept the fact that I can't be what maybe somebody wanted me to be growing up or I can't be what someone wants me to be. He, they wanted him to be the savior of, of not only the Jews, but to take over the world. I mean, they wanted him to be a, somehow take over the Roman empire, be the king that puts down the Romans. That's a huge worldwide influence. And they, wanted, they had expectations of Jesus. But as he's there in that garden, he lays those aside and accepts who he really is. He's the son of God who has to go to the cross. You accept the fact that you're a child of God. Yeah, you got problems. I acknowledge my problems. Do you accept the fact, though, that even if you have problems, you're still a child of God? And then do you accept the fact that you have limitations and you need to cry out and ask heaven for help? This is a counselor who put these together. I just went ahead and, and took uh, the idea and threw it into the text. I said, well, you know, if I acknowledge how I feel, if I, if I go ahead and say, you know what? I can't be what other people want me to be. I just got to be me. And yet I find myself having limitations. I've got to be able to recognize and accept my limitations and then cry out to God for help. This can happen for each one of us. Whether you've experienced all those things I talked about earlier, death, failure, uncertainty, raw aching inside, some separation, some guilt, some f- fear for the future, all of that can be laid at the feet of Jesus. And John says that you're not alone. You're going to have someone who's going to come beside you like a friend. In John 16, it's called the Holy Spirit. We want to be imbued with that spirit. Well, then we've got to look to Jesus. And then he'll cry out to him, and he will send the Holy Spirit to take you by the hand and to lead you all the way to where he would lead you. And so help means, in the Greek language, someone who takes you and leads you to the other side. Doesn't just leave you there, and that's the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read a story, and we'll go ahead and go into a time of prayer read the experience of a man who underwent open-heart surgery. The day before the surgery, an attractive nurse came into my room, he said. She took hold of my hand and told me to feel it and hold it. I thought that was a really great idea. Now, she said, during the surgery tomorrow, you'll be disconnected from your heart, and you will be kept alive only by virtue of certain machines. And when your heart is finally restored, and the operation is over, and you are reconnected, you will be eventually awakened into a special and taken to a special recovery room. But you will be immobile for as long as six hours. You may be unable to move, speak, or even open your eyes, but you will be perfectly conscious and you will hear and you will know everything that is going on around you. During those six hours, I will be at your side and I will hold your hand exactly as I am doing now. I will stay with you until you are fully recovered. Although you may feel absolutely helpless, when you feel my hand, you will know that I will not leave you. It happened exactly as the nurse told me. I awoke and could do nothing, but I could feel the nurse's hand in my hand for hours. And that made all the difference. Heaven reaches down through the story of Christ to your story and says, even if you don't feel it, even if your experience is telling you otherwise, there's that hand. And the hand's going to lead you through whatever you're experiencing now to the other side. Earth made new. No more pain or sorrow. All the tears wiped away. Miracles beyond description. Let Him lead you through this and beyond. Let Him take your story and make it into something more beautiful. Watch Him. Spend time with Him. And call out to Him. This morning what we're going to do, and we're already kind of Approaching our lunchtime. But I have a sense that there could be a story within a story here. As I'm telling this, you could see your story. And you may be saying, you know what? I've carried some heavy burdens. And here I am in 2015, and I feel like they're still there. I wish that there was a way I could just put them aside. According to this text, and according to what we've read, you've got to cry out to him. And you say, well, I do that. I, I don't feel it all right, then we'll provide a hand for you today. Someone who will literally take you by the hand and pray with you today if you want. It will be like that nurse in that story. And it will be the expression of our church saying, we are with you during this struggle or this past emotional problem or or whatever it is that seems to be plaguing you today. It could be a simple prayer request. It could be something more complicated. But I've asked some prayer leaders to come to the front here. and I'm going to ask them to come here uh, and stand here for a moment, so you can see these people are going to be here to pray with you. And our service, you may say, I don't need it today. That's fine. You can you can leave after the closing song if you don't need this. But if you need someone to pray with you regarding some heavy weight, regarding something that maybe has overcome you, and you want to overcome it, maybe regarding some past hurt or feelings. Or maybe even you feel all alone sometimes and you wish that someone was right there holding your hand praying with you sometimes. (laughs) Whatever your experience may be, we're going to provide, as the closing song is being sung, you can come to the front anytime you feel impressed, and between them and myself, we will pray with you. And once the closing song is done, everybody, you you can be dismissed if if you don't have a need to stay by. But if you have a need to stay by, you can stay by for as long as you need. And we're going to transform this little church building here in the front from the Garden of Gethsemane to a garden of prayer where you can be doing what Jesus did. You've seen his struggle. You know he knows what you're going through. Now it's time to lay it down with him. So I'm going to invite um, the AV people to put the song up on the screen. And as we sing this song, if you feel like there's something you need to lay down, it could be anything, then I invite you to come to the front whenever you feel impressed to come.